Well, this morning we're blessed to have uh, Kelly Johnson and his wife with us this morning. Um, we were just, Bonnie and I were very new here about six years ago when Pastor Scott went on his first sabbatical, and I'm sure many of you were not here at that time. And uh, I remember at the time thinking, uh, I sure hope Scott comes back. Well, Kelly did a good job. He came back, and now six years later is, is up already, and uh, all of us need to take time and rest before God, and this is time for Scott to do that this summer. And uh, Kelly, if you'd come up. Kelly Johnson is the, uh, well, basically a pastor to pastors here for this district of uh, the Free Church. And uh, I remember when Scott left last time, he left with hair. Yeah, we did. And came back with a beard. So it'll be interesting how he comes back this time. But I don't came... know that I want to go there. <laughs> but he came back refreshed. So That's the key. Yeah. That's the key. I have a word of prayer with you for oh, a minute. Yes. Father, we pray that you anoint Kelly with your words mm-hmm. and open our ears to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, thank you. I was just chatting with my wife thinking, that guy's got a great radio voice. <laughs> then I realized why it sounded familiar. It sounds just Anybody remember a guy by the name of Paul Harvey? That's him. He could do that. That's great. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to be here again. It has been uh, six years. I was here in 2017. And we're going to dive in. I'm going to give you a little update of where we are in our ministry. Just so for those of you that maybe weren't here when I talked to Scott, he said, you, yeah, we've got some new faces since six years ago. So I want to take you, just give you a little snapshot of who we are in the North Central District. Uh, Whoops, turn it on. There we go. Make the technology work. Boom. That map is the North Central District. Every one of those little markers is a church. Uh, We are somewhere down here. I'm not exactly sure. This one, uh, I don't know. Geography was never one of my strong points. Uh, 175 churches, 127 different communities, about 350 pastor types. And the way that you can think of our ministry and pastoral care and our, our ministry with the North Central District is this is a church of 350 people, many of them highly educated pastor types and their wives and their associates and their assistants and whatever, scattered all over the state of Minnesota. And we get to shepherd them. We get to care for them. God has blessed us with that privilege, and it really is a privilege to do this. For us in pastoral care, our ministry is one of praying, listening, caring, encouraging. A ministry of presence, that means we sometimes just show up on a Sunday morning. Sometimes we step into hurting places. Uh, I tell people that I've gone to funerals for people I don't know just to be there for the pastor. So he knows somebody's there praying for him while he's grieving that loss too, because that happens. Uh, It's resourcing, training, coaching and mentoring, pulpit fill, and this kind of thing we're doing today, which is prepping a church for a sabbatical. Uh, We have been doing a lot of these. Uh, My notes here say that since 2012, when we started doing them, we've assisted with 87 in our district out of um, 175 churches. 
Now, some of them, like Scott, have come, come around a couple of times now, so we've got to watch the numbers. But that's a really encouraging thing because it shows us that we as a district want our pastors to be rested, to be connected with God, and to be in a good place emotionally and spiritually. Uh, last point up there is we're a support-based ministry of the North Central District. What that means is every month I get a check from the district, but that check is drawn on an account, and I have to make sure there's money in the account. That's part of my job is to do support raising and fundraising, and I can tell you right up front, I stink at it. <laughs> it's really just, I'm just no good. So I leave that to the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit's tapping you on the shoulder saying, you need to go and talk to these people, please obey the Holy Spirit. Come and talk to us. <laughs> okay. Uh, God has been faithful throughout the years. Um, we have, yeah, he's been faithful. We've never gone hungry. We've never had a need. We've never had to stop and say, mm, can't do that. There's not enough money in the account because there's always been money in the account. Not always a lot, but enough. So... Now, why do we need this? Why do we need pastoral care? Okay, our pastors are healthy, they're fine, they're smart guys, you know. What, what do we need to do this for? Let me show you. 94% of clergy families, this is the family, feel the pressure of the pastor's ministry. What that means is he takes it home. He doesn't leave it at the office. 90% feel inadequately trained to cope with ministry demands. I can tell you right now that there is no seminary in this country that, is that has ever taught a class on pandemics. Every one of our pastors was completely blindsided by that beast. All right? 90% feel completely, the ministry is completely different than they expected. 80% feel that pastoral, listen to this one closely. 80% feel that pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. 33% state that it has been hazardous to their family structure. How many, if you had a job and 33% of the people involved in that job said it was hazardous, somebody would be calling the EPA or something and saying, come in and fix this, this is a problem, Okay. 70% fight depression and low self-image. I'm going to pause you there. Prior to COVID, I had two guys that I was coaching who were dealing with depression and anxiety issues. During COVID, that number rose to 15. We had guys who literally walked up in front of their church on a Sunday morning, set their Bible on the podium, and froze because of the stress and anxiety they were feeling. We had one who went, left his church in an ambulance. That's how powerful it was. 70% have no close friends. No one that they can really, really talk to. 50% feel so discouraged they would quit if they could. They could find some other way to put food on the table. 50% starting out will not last five years. The heartbreaker for these statistics, these are from 2011, pre-COVID. I've got a few more that are a little more current. I'll just share these briefly with you. 24% uh, have had a time of significant doubt of their faith. One out of four. 
One in three are at high to moderate risk for burnout. 43% have high to moderate relational risk involving their marriage, family, friends, or social support structures. 20% have some type of addiction issue. One out of five. Almost half have faced depression sometime in their ministry. Now, this one takes a little explaining. Burnout risk is correlated with church growth. Okay? But it's opposite of what you'd think. 64% are at high and moderate risk if their church is in decline. How many churches today do we have in decline? A lot of them. A lot of our pastors are struggling with the people who left online, started attending online and never came back. Now I have to pause. I have to qualify that statement. Some people who are viewing online need to be viewing online. Some people need to put their pants on and come to church. I was going to say that. (laughs) Okay. Come to church because you should be here. This is fellowship. Read Hebrews chapter 10. We're supposed to be here if we can be. Those last statistics I read were from 2017. Again, pre-COVID. This is why we do this. This is why we do what we do. And this is also why we do sabbaticals, why we encourage churches to do that. So that that pastor can stop and take a step back and breathe. And really assess where he is emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of those pieces. Because our goal is to build something called resilience. We want that pastor to be resilient. And what do we mean by that? Oh, I forgot this one. This is also why we do sabbaticals. Our pastor took a sabbatical a number of years ago, and when he came back, he put a fountain like this on, on the podium up front. And I'll never forget this. This describes my life before my sabbatical. Dry, crusty, empty, useless. That's how he felt before he left. It was not good. We want to prevent that. So that's why we do this. And I want to commend you as a church for doing that. It is really good. Oops. A number of years ago, we picked up a book called Resilient Ministries, a very powerful tool. It's the result of a longitudinal study, seven-year study, of pastors. What makes them resilient? The authors came up with five points. The first one is spiritual formation. That's the care and feeding of the soul. How well is the man caring for himself? It's not prepping a sermon for Sunday. It's not leading a small group. It's his own personal time in study, prayer, fellowship, worship, connecting with other believers, connecting with God through Sabbath. Second is self-care. Reasonable hours of work. Is he getting enough rest? Is Is he taking care of his body through physical activity and proper diet? Is he doing those things to maintain the shell, the body, that we all are supposed to care for? It's emotional and cultural intelligence. How well does he understand himself, his personality type, his family of origin issues, 
his strengths and weaknesses, his spiritual gifting, all of those pieces that define who he is. And then how does that work interacting with you guys? Do you connect or do you conflict? And if there's conflict, what do you do with that? That's emotional and cultural intelligence. Last is marriage and family. This is the tension, managing the tension between a heart that is pulled toward the needs of the church and a heart that is pulled toward the needs of the family. Sometimes it feels like it's being torn in half. What do you do with that? How do you manage that? And lastly, it's leadership and management. That's the ability to lead a church, lead an organization through adaptive, constructive change. Organizations must change. If they don't change, guess what happens to them? They die. We don't want that to happen. We have enough churches dying as it is. We don't need any more to die. We want to keep them up and vibrant. So they have to change and they have to adapt. Now, I have to pause again. I don't mean change the message. You never change the message of the gospel. The gospel is true and right, and this word is true and right, and we have to cling to this word. Sometimes you have to change how it's delivered in your community context. I am thrilled that you guys have a Latino ministry. That is fantastic. I want to encourage you, if you can, go to that service. I can remember uh, when I was getting my master's degree, we had to have a cross-cultural experience. And I went to a Latino service. I was the only Anglo guy in the house. And the pastor saw this tall, skinny, bald, white guy in the back row. That was me, by the way. And said, he ain't from here. And he found somebody who could translate, put him up front. I was the only white guy in the house. I was the only Anglo in the house. And he stopped and adjusted his service to fit me. Do we do that? We don't do that very well. We should. We should keep our eyes open for things, situations like that. Now, you notice there's a big yellow box around four of those. If you look at those four, those four deal with the man. They deal with the person. And we've discovered over the years that if we can get a pastor to, to focus on those four during his sabbatical, he comes back from the sabbatical in a much better place. And then all that renewed energy flows into the last one. And he becomes a better leader and a better manager. We call that a win-win. Because he wins and you win as a church. So now the question, oh, I got a quote here I got to put in. Those statistics I quoted earlier, the ones from 2017, this is a quote that I pulled from that book. It is my belief, further confirmed by this project, that the Christian community in North America does not need stronger leaders. We need more resilient leaders. Resilient pastors develop the inner resources and supportive relationships that enable them to prioritize their own spiritual, emotional, and physical needs, to view challenges realistically, to learn from their mistakes, to consider alternate perspectives and new processes, 
and to expect that God is at work even in adverse situations. Again, this was pre-COVID. This guy was prophetic in what he wrote. Because we can tell you that the churches that survived COVID well had leaders like this. They took care of themselves. They adapted. They adjusted. They made it through just fine. One of those I happen to be standing in right now. Praise God. Amen. But even in doing this, they still get tired. So we do this thing called sabbaticals. Where does that come from? It comes from the Old Testament. Turn with me to Leviticus, if you would, please. Leviticus chapter 25. Uh Uh-oh, careful. I don't want to drown the mic. The context here is Moses. He's up Mount Sinai. God is giving him the law. He's not reading the riot act to him. He's writing the riot act. He's reading the book. And this is what Moses says. Or what, what Leviticus says, excuse me. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Pause there for a second. Look at that phrase. A Sabbath to the Lord. Sabbath is something that God gives to you, rest, and an opportunity to reflect and focus your attention on him. The idea being you turn it around and give it back to him. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your fields, and for six years you shall prune your vineyards and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. You shall not reap what grows of itself in, in your harvest, or gather the grapes from your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land will provide food. Now listen to this. This is a very inclusive statement. Will provide food for you, for yourself, for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker, and for the sojourner. That's the, that's the Gentile who's traveling through the land, okay, who lives with you, and for your cattle, and for the wild animals of your land. All its yield shall be for food. So just stop for just a second. God's saying here, stop, not for a weekend, not for a month, for a full year. Any farmers in the house? Any of you brave enough to do that? And I'm seeing guys going, no. You might be, but your banker won't be. (laughs) Yeah. What is God asking the people of Israel to do here? What's the big question? Do you trust me? And it's a funny thing. The nation of Israel had trust issues. Read the Exodus story. There's the whole manna from heaven. Oh, we got bread coming down from heaven. God says, only take enough for today. 
Taken up for two days, what happened to it? Nasty. And that was the repeated cycle. I'm going to give you something, you trust me, no. Okay, let's try it again. Give you something, you trust me, no. They didn't do this either, by the way. They ended up in exile because they didn't do this. They didn't follow Sabbath, and they should have. It's a rest for the people. It's a rest for the land. It's an opportunity for growth. The, 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 the men of, the, of the Israel were instructed to go and, and sit at the feet of the rabbis, the priests, and learn God's word. It's a witness for a watching world. If the world sees us trusting God in the midst of chaos and, in this case, stopping, what are they going to think? These people have got something, and I want a piece of it. I want to figure this out. It's a lesson in obedience to the Lord, leading to greater devotion and dependence upon God. That's the ultimate goal, is trusting God more. Now, some of you may be wondering, how are these poor people going to eat? Well, God answered that question. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year when we stop growing and all that? If we may not sow or gather in our crop, God's reply, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. Where's my farmer friends again? <laughs> what would you do with that? A three-year crop in one shot. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when the harvest comes again. That's God's provision. Provision rising out of obedience to him. That's just sweet. That is just, just sweet. I want to take you now to a familiar passage in the New Testament that I think supports sabbatical really well, and I think, it, I think it's an anchor point for our faith. It's often seen as an evangelistic passage. It's one of the come-to-me or follow-me passages of Jesus. But I want to lay it out for you first. Turn to Matthew 11, the New Testament. Matthew 11. We're going to be starting in verse 25. I'm not going to dive into the first part there. The first part is really sweet. I encourage you to read that. It's one of the few times that we have a recorded prayer of Jesus. And if you look at that prayer, he lays out three key points of who he is. It's the revelation of Christ. Actually, I'm just going to pause. I want to read it. I think we've got time. Do we have time? Oh, oh I love it when they say yes. Uh, starting in verse 25. At this time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. I'm thankful for that, too, because I'm one of those little children, and I don't consider myself wise or understanding. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom he chooses to reveal him. Three points. That's the revelation of Christ. It's the authority of Christ. And it's the exclusivity of Christ. It's who he is. And then arising out of those three comes this. How do those three color this beautiful invitation? Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you an overloaded calendar. No. I will give you rest. Underline that in your Bible if you're one of those people who underlines stuff. Take my yoke upon you. Whose yoke is it? It's his. He's asking you to join him in his work. We sometimes get that backwards. That's not a good thing. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. That rest is repeated again. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. If you do not know this rest, if you are not in this kind of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you today to talk to somebody and find out how to get there. Because it's a sweet, sweet place to be. In the midst of the chaos in this world today, this is, this is where we're supposed to be, people. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be living in this peace, in this rest, in this place. And this is a good reminder for us. Eugene Peterson, in the message, puts it this way. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Pause. I get an opportunity to coach pastors on sabbaticals. I cannot tell you the number of times I've coached a pastor on his sabbatical, and in the first visit together, he comes back to me and says, I got my life back. I had one sitting at a coffee shop. I asked him, how you doing? How's your heart? And he teared up and his chin got that funny little wrinkle that, that he gets. And he said, I found my first love again. This is a pastor of a church. And he's lost sight of Jesus because of the church. Wait a minute. <laughs> And he had to stop. 
and rebuild that relationship again. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it, how I do life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. We love that. We love the way Eugene Peterson does this. Now, I'm going to take it a little bit practical. This has been theological. It's been doctrinal. Where's the practical here? Why do we do sabbaticals? Well, first and foremost, it's decompression and disconnection. Your pastor's on call 24-7, 365. You have a special little twist in that pastoral relationship in the fact that your pastor is also a trained counselor. So his tendency is going to be to press in more than many pastors would. And that is an additional burden. It's a blessing. But it's also a burden. And it wears on him. And he needs to take a step back from that. It helps to identify the codependent hero syndrome. That's the need to be needed. My wife will tell you that in 2019, we took a sabbatical. It's the first one I had ever taken. Uh, I'd been in ministry 11 years at that time. And there was a day about three, four weeks into the sabbatical that I was sitting at my desk looking at my computer. I'd put a do not disturb on my email, basically saying that between this day and this date, any emails that come in will be deleted. I won't read them. And my email had basically stopped. And I'm sitting there looking for emails that aren't coming. And she looked at me and said, what's the matter? And I paused and said, I don't know who I am when I'm not needed. Yeah. I was so used to the phone ringing and getting the email and having to touch base with somebody. And then when that stopped, it was like all of a sudden I didn't have a purpose. And I had to go back to ground zero. They develop healthy rhythms of work, rest, study, reflection, worship, prayer, and worship. Why do I have worship up there? Does your pastor worship on Sunday? Eh, I'm getting coming to these. Yeah, most of them can't. Because I've got too many boxes to check. They've got to make sure the worship team's here and the sound guy's here and the doors are open and the coffee's made and whatever else. I see you have Keurig's out front. That's a good thing. He doesn't have to worry about coffee then. Just put it in. What was that? Scott always, Scott always worries about coffee. <laughs> That's just Scott. He's just a coffee guy. Yeah. I can tell you story, stories about Reverend's Roast. I'm not going to go there. Um, but a lot of times they don't. Because their brains are running and they've got a thousand things they have to keep track of. For them to really worship is difficult. Sabbatical gives them time for self-examination. They can actually 
Pray Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And really let God work. It's time for study, reflection, and personal application of God's word. They can live Joshua 1.8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it when? Day and night. You can commit that time to that. It refocuses the pastor's calling and mission. It deepens the pastor's appreciation for the congregation. I tell churches that if your pastor doesn't grieve leaving you for three months, something's wrong with your relationship. He should miss you. I remember a a pastor who was going on his first sabbatical. He preached his last Sunday. He shook hands with people at the door. Loaded the kids and the wife in the car, sat down behind the steering wheel, put the key in the ignition, and he melted. Started crying. His wife had to drive home. That was a good thing. (laughs) Because he was going to miss his people. And when he came back, it was a celebration for everybody. It was good. Uh, creates in the pastor a new resolve to serve the congregation and the kingdom of God. And I put this one away at the end and pick up new ministry skills. I tell pastors that if, you're, if your focus is to learn a new skill, don't call it a sabbatical, call it a study leave. It's a different thing. We have some pastors who will take a sabbatical to write their ordination paper. No. <laughs> you're just getting off one horse and getting on another one. This is not, you're not resting. Okay. Benefits for the church. This is a hard one. It breaks pastoral dependence. You will discover the things that your pastor does when he goes away. Because you look around and go, why didn't that get done? (laughs) Oh, Scott does it. Yeah. Uh, You get to exercise spiritual muscles you didn't even know you had. Some of you will pick up a ministry for a short period of time, start doing it, and go, wow, I like this. And when Scott gets back, he's going to hold out his hand to get the keys back, and you're going to go, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. And he'll go, fine, great. Let you run with it. Uh, It builds confidence moving forward and greater ministry independence and flexibility. Your church grows in depth, may even grow in number. We had a pastor from a metro church who came back, and his first Sunday back, they welcomed 10 new members. Because his elders had stepped up while he was gone. They had a membership class. They brought the people in. They voted them all in, and he was welcoming these people he'd never met before. That was sweet. Creates a new, renewed appreciation for the pastor. Uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Whoops. There's a, oh, uh, slow down, kid. There's a revival of mutual devotion of the pastor and the members. Spiritual growth of the pastor results in greater ministry effectiveness when he comes back. And lastly, the, the return of the pastor is who is energized and refocused. I'm going to pause here. Just I'm going to throw a little piece out there for you to think about. Jane, cover your ears. (laughs) 
When you send your pastor off, think about it as though you're sending a missionary to the field for a short-term trip. What would you do? How would you bless him? Okay, think about that. And then on the flip side, how would you welcome them back? Okay? Just kind of noodle on that for a little bit. Uh, what is your part in the sabbatical? Number one, pray like crazy people. Okay? Pray for him now. Pray for his family. Pray for the plan. Pray for the leaders. Pray for the whole thing as they start working on the details on how to make this thing happen. Uh, a lot of times we think it's just something, they just have to find somebody to stand up here. No. It's more than that. And they have to figure that all out. Engage in the conversation. If you have questions, ask them. If you have encouragement, give them. Get involved with that. Again, engage in the release and the sending. And then guard that sabbatical time. Now, that doesn't mean if you see your pastor walking on the street, you turn and walk away from him. That would be rude. Okay? You can engage in conversation with him. The, the benchmark rule is don't talk churchy stuff. You can ask him how he's doing. How's your sabbatical? Can I buy you lunch? All of those things. But don't walk up to him and say something, complain about the worship team, which you guys did great, by the way. I don't want to. <laughs> it's fantastic. Then help with the reentry. And the last one is just lower your expectations. When he comes back, he's not going to rip open his shirt, his shirt, and there'll be a big SP on his chest for super pastor. <laughs> you got an image, don't you? <laughs> Jane's going, oh, uh, yeah. She's picturing Scott and leotards. I <laughs> just. Anyway, I now have an image in my mind I can't get out. Um, yeah. He's going to come back, but he, he might still be walking with stuff. We'll talk more about this in the future. Personal application. Number one, how can I help my pastor with his sabbatical? How can I help him make that happen? What are some things I can gift him with or bless him with as he, as he goes out the door? Second, how can I help God's church during the sabbatical? What are some things that maybe you can, you can walk with, some things you can pick up and try to do that will help him? And lastly, and, and this is the one I, I really want you to think about, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, how can I get into that peace with Jesus? How can I find that rest, that deep relationship with him? How can I answer that invitation, that RSVP that he just sent me? Come to me. All who are labor and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. I want to leave you with one quote. This comes from a book that, in doing my research on sabbaticals, 
A sabbatical is a time of growth, risk, and change for everyone. These processes take place in the minister, in their families, and within the congregation. These are also times of beginning again, refreshment, renewing vision, and reconnecting with those influences that led us into ministry in the first place. That is our hope. That is our dream for this sabbatical for Scott and for you. You can make that happen. You can help him to make that happen. I'm going to close in prayer and then ask the worship team to come up. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you again, Lord, for this church who is preparing to bless their pastor and his family with some time away, some time to pause and reflect and refocus and get re-energized. Father, I ask that by your spirit, you would walk with them through this season of learning and preparing and help them, Lord, to, to get everything lined up in a beautiful way. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.